Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, Razorback fans? Welcome to the Friday HTP Show. I'm Ty Hudson, and on behalf of everyone here at the HTP, thanks for downloading and listening to our show. We hope you enjoy. If you did, feel free to rate and review the podcast. Woo, Big Suey, go Hogs! Ba-ba-ba-boom! What is going on, Arkansas Razorback fans, SEC fans everywhere? Welcome to the Hog Talk Podcast. It's the Friday show. I'm the Friday host, Ty Hudson. I hope you guys... I really hope you've had a fantastic week. I know last weekend... Mmm. Last weekend was just brutal. Right? And then middle of the week, Razorback baseball, they drop a midweek game, their first of the season. Ugh, rough. But the men's basketball team doing some good. The Ladybacks got a dub today, right uh, just a little while ago before I started recording this fine Thursday evening. Of course, you'll have this podcast in your ears Friday. This thing will be uh, live 6 a.m. on the 6th. How about that? How about that? Also, in the next segment after this, our very own Kyle Sutherland has an interview with uh, Curtis Wilkerson, who's a scout and contributor for Prep Hoops Missouri. He's also a contributor for uh, Busting Brackets as well. You can follow Curtis on Twitter at CWilk underscore hoops. And again, you can follow him also or follow his work on uh, with Prep Hoops at Preps, Prep Hoops Missouri MO and at Busting Brackets on Twitter if you guys want to do that. But he'll be on. Kyle will uh, interview him, and that'll be that next uh, portion of the show. Thank you guys for downloading and listening. Like we always try to remind you, feel free to give us some star power on iTunes. We'd really, really super-duper appreciate it. While you're listening right now, like, oh, wait, wait, I need to go do that. I need to go slap some star power for our boys at the HTP. All right, let's uh, let's start off. Yep, the the Razorbacks, the 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 women's they get a, they get the dub in the SEC tournament, their first game. That's good, good stuff. We had some great coverage. Shout out to Sports and Culture Tyler over there doing work. I'm telling you, if their name is Tyler, you just gotta you just gotta know they're putting in the work and they're good dudes. Anybody you know named Tyler, and Tyler is certainly doing it over there. So shout out to him for helping us out there and sending us some information. And, and while we were while we were all busy today trying our best to keep up with the game, he was he was there. So shout out to him and sports and culture as always. Uh, and we know Porter also works with him as well. He contributes to them as well. And uh, Porter, I've said before, I don't know. People talk about, well, Ty, you do all these shows. You work really hard. And I'm like, you you haven't met 
our very own Porter Hayes, apparently. This guy, <laughs> he stays pretty damn busy. And, of course, Jacob and Kyle also, those guys writing over on the hogtalk.net. Don't forget to check out the hogtalk.net. almost said not net. The hogtalk.net. Go check out the work over there. Those guys are doing great. Okay, Razorback basketball, they get some vengeance all up on the LSU Tigers. Winning that game 99-90. to uh, Arkansas, I mean... I would say that that this is this is how good this is their potential that first half that we that we witnessed that's the potential of this team. Second half LSU switched things up, they made some adjustments, they played some full court pressure, they were doubling up, they were chasing guys, they were chasing Razorbacks out off the perimeter a little bit more, they went to a more aggressive man defense or, and even when they did switch zone it was aggressive like they were all over the Razorbacks on defense, uh, unfortunately for them, they would come up short. They're gonna they they end well. They've got another game left, but after this game, they're twenty and ten with an eleven and six conference record. Arkansas now nineteen eleven with a seven and ten conference record. You're already you're four or five games ahead of where I had Arkansas. Right? I didn't th- I I thought when you talk like preseason before the regular season, I had them between fourteen and like sixteen wins, and here they are. Let's go over the numbers really quick. LSU, it's not like they were terrible from the floor. I mean, my God, they shot forty-four percent, forty percent from three-point range. They were they were so they were thirty-one of seventy from the floor, eleven of twenty-seven from three-point range. They shot almost seventy-four percent, or right at seventy-four percent at the free throw line. They were seventeen of twenty-three there. They had ten offensive rebounds, thirty defensive rebounds. So they they had forty rebounds in this one, and they got some production off their bench. Williams. With 16 points, he had six rebounds, uh, three defensive and three offensive. Not too bad, but the the entire everybody with LSU got in some heavy foul trouble, especially early on. And I thought that was interesting. They were able to switch it up, play more aggressively on defense in the second half, and it's like they got called for less fouls. I mean, they still got called for some for quite a bit in the second half, but when you consider how aggressive they played. In, in the fact that they, I mean, I don't know. Do you think they got away with some some ticky-tack or, or some, um, do you think they got away with anything more than what they had going on in the first half? Did it seem like to you guys, because it did to me a little bit, and I thought some of that was makeup calls for, for, for LSU. I felt like the SEC officials were like, okay, we're going to let them play a little bit more. But there were still some ticky-tack foul calls in the second half. I'm not going to lie to you. LSU's upset about the foul you know they had they had 23 attempts at the free throw line to Arkansas's 54. <laughs> oh, doesn't bad officiating suck? I said earlier in the year the LSU game that was and even up until this point it's the second worst officiated game of the year for Arkansas on the road at LSU earlier. That was not a very well officiated game at all. And the SEC officials already have a, a terrible reputation. Okay, they lead all the Power Five schools in most most foul calls. I saw that record someone posted on um, yesterday, or was it Tuesday? W- Tuesday or Wednesday, someone posted. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the SEC officiating, they call far more, there's way more fouls. It was like almost 1,000 more than the second most. I want to say it was, was it the pack, the second most foul calls. 
throughout the uh, throughout the season. So it's ridiculous. I mean, someone's going to be in first, but the disparity there is incredible. SEC officiating is bad. It just is. So anyways, yeah, I, I do think LSU was allowed to play a little bit more aggressively and they weren't getting called for some of the same stuff they were doing in the first half, but that's fine. They still, Arkansas had 54 free throw attempts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain about that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So anyways, getting back to it, um, LSU, Leading scorer was Mays with 28 points. He was about the only one that didn't get in heavy foul trouble of, of the starters. But listen, they had two starters foul out. I missed that. I missed that on the PTN postgame show. I thought only one fouled out. It, it was two. I forgot Smart did foul out. Smart and Days both fouled out. Uh, Days had four points, and Taylor had four points, which is crazy because listening to the first half, you heard his name called about 14 times, but the guy only had four points, five rebounds. Uh, I guess it was because of all of his fouling he was doing early on. He played hard, though. He played hard. I thought Taylor played really hard for LSU in the first half. Uh, and then off the bench, like I said, Williams is their leading scorer. Ten assists, three steals as a team, and three blocks. They turned the ball over ten times. Arkansas, how about this? Ethan Henderson gets another start, and he looks fantastic. Six rebounds, two offensive, four defensive. He had, a, he had an assist. And he had 10 points. Four rebounds shy of a double-double. That's not too bad. No blocks in this one. Although of the starting five, he was one of two that didn't have a block. Mason Jones was the other one. Uh, But Bailey, Witt, and Joe, all three had blocks. But uh, 10 points, six rebounds, you'll take that. 27 minutes. That's some pretty good production, if you want my opinion. It's, It's improved production. Ethan Henderson has been kind of a surprise these last several games. Okay. It's not been as consistent towards the end of the year, but I mean, it's more than we've had out of, out of Ethan Henderson all year long. You actually got to rotate nine guys out of this one. Seals off the bench, 34 minutes, yet again logs double digit points with 13. Uh, one turnover, two assists, three rebounds, one offensive. Arkansas with six total offensive rebounds. They got out rebounded in this one just by five. Huh? What was the first game? Like plus 500 for LSU? It was ridiculous. It was it was ridiculous, and we all know it. And then this one, look at look what happens. And what's the difference? I don't know. It's not like Ethan Henderson had 15 rebounds, but it was Witt. Jimmy Witt, who was attacking the boards with, with uh, 15 total rebounds, 14 defensive and one offensive, uh, 26 points. Okay, let's go over the numbers for Arkansas. 50% from the floor, 33% from three-point range. They were 7 of 21 there. And then uh, 36 of 54, that's not very good. But I guess when you consider the amount of free throw shots, you it's, it's you know, the more shots you take, the more risk you, you make, right? You're, you're more likely to miss when you keep on shooting at the free throw line. But, my God, they shot like – they had like eight missed – Free throws in a row there towards the end. 36 to 54 there, so just south of 67%. Again, six offensive rebounds, 29 defensive rebounds, 35 total, 14 assists in this game for Arkansas. Someone needs to do some numbering there. They need to <laughs> they need to do some they need to dig through Arkansas season. I don't I'm not saying this is their best performance from an assist standpoint, but it's got to be up there. Four steals, three blocks. And only five turnovers again to LSU's 10. He had 15 points from the bench. 
Okay, we talked about getting consistent bench production. I think we can argue these last several games, the bench production has been a little bit better, mostly because of Seals. Cheney had the other two points. And something else I'll say about Ethan Henderson. This has got to be the first game where he logged more than, than 10 minutes and didn't get didn't have at least four fouls. He only had three fouls. Leading scorer was Mason Jones. Surprise, surprise, his eighth 30-plus point game. He had 36 points with, with, like I said, 26. Four of your starting five had double digits. Isaiah Joe with 11. I'm not going to say Isaiah Joe is a non-factor. I don't ever believe that because when Isaiah Joe's on the floor, it's like having the king or queen in, in chess. It's like playing when you don't have him on the floor. It's like not having a king or queen on, on the board. And so that's what it's like with Isaiah Joe. You see how LSU was trying to – was really uh, – they did not want to give him any open looks. His shots were contested. How about him, though? Eight of eight at the free throw line. But he was one of seven. I mean, he was more or less, from a shooting standpoint, he was irrelevant. One of seven. Right? I mean – Damn, Bailey was 0 for 2, but Mason Jones was 4 of 2. And then uh, Seals, or excuse me, I'm sorry, I said 4 of 2, my bad. 4 of 6, I'm, I'm reading these numbers, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then Seals was uh, 2 of 5, Harris 0 for 1. What is it? Uh, is, is it just me, Harris is losing minutes. And we're seeing more production out of Seals off the bench at 34, you know, he logged 34. I don't know what his average is. Since I don't know, just the second half of the season, but I'm really liking the the increased production out of him. Uh, just coming off the bench, he's been uh, quietly. He's kind of been an X factor himself, right? We talk about Isaiah Joe, Mason Jones, and Wit. How about Seals? How about Ethan Henderson? Twenty seven minutes, ten points. I already said it. Two offensive rebounds. You know, six total. He had an assist. Didn't have a block. But still, like, Ethan Henderson is starting to become a defensive kind of Dennis Rodman on the floor. You wish he was a little bit taller. Maybe a little bit more aggressive. But so far, yeah, he's not going to get you 14, 15 a game. But he's going to get you some rebounds and he's going to try and crash the boards. That's what I like about Ethan Henderson. Uh, Ethan Henderson went to the free throw line. I think this is the most all year. He had nine attempts. He was four of nine at the free throw line. Three for three from the floor. Yeah, good night for him. Arkansas going to close out the regular season. This is going to be a test. A&M, uh, this will not be as easy as, you know, when Arkansas played them at the beginning of the year, I thought Arkansas should win that game. This game, it's going to be a little bit different. A&M. A&M has been I mean they're look they're 15 and 14. They've they've played a little bit better the second half of the season since they played Georgia. They had a three-game win streak that included at Alabama, at home against Mississippi State. They lost a I think if I remember right that Kentucky game was pretty was was pretty uh uh, close up until the final few minutes, I think Kentucky pulled away. I might be getting that mixed up with another game, but uh, they lost that one 69-60. Then they went on the road against LSU, and they lost that one 64-50, but they just beat Auburn 78-75. to Okay, I don't know that they're necessarily – I don't know what they're playing for. I don't. I have no idea. If they get a 16th win and then get some wins in the tournament, maybe they can go to the NITs. But like I said – 
no one really plays for the NITs. We all know that. I think Musselman obviously is playing for the first shot at the NCAA tournament. In his mind, I don't think he's even thinking of the, the NITs. Fans like myself are because that's a huge win for Arkansas, who was not picked to make any postseason play. Year one, you'll take the NITs considering the circumstances. But our, nobody plays for the NITs. Let's get real here. But that could be what A and M maybe on the back of their mind the opportunity to play some more, uh, get some more time, you know, get a little bit more time to play together and, and get some postseason play, and uh, I don't know maybe make a run in the NITs and no one will even know about it. <laughs> I mean, really, can you name like the last three NIT champs? I sure as hell can't. Mississippi State, or excuse me, Texas A and M. God, I'm going to keep doing this. I swear, Texas A and M. Not so good this year, points per game. Overall in the year, they're I mean, they're one of the worst. They average about 62 points a game, but their defense, they're another one of these defensive-heavy teams. They only give up 65 points a game. That's top 60 in the country. I've said this on the pig trail over and over. Anytime you're top 100 in any, in any team stat, you know, in basketball, that's pretty good because there's 400-plus teams in this league, so... Yeah, top 60, they're 58th in the country is not half bad, but their rebounding is also pretty bad like Arkansas's. They're around 33 rebounds a game. They don't they apparently don't move the ball around too well cuz they average just around 11 assists per game. Um you know, I know they're pretty excited about the recruiting class coming in. They've got three guys signed. Um, all of which pretty highly rated on on ESPN. I say highly, you know, 83, 79, 77 is their grade on ESPN. Hayden Hefner, uh, LaDamian Bradford, and uh, Hassan Dara. Dara. I'm not even going to say what it looks like when you first when you first glance at it. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was diarrhea, but it's Diara, I think. Hassan Diara. That's what, I, that's what I do here. That's my contribution. I butcher names here on the HTP. This is going to be a tough battle uh, on the road. They have... I mean, look, they, they've played a little bit better since Arkansas played them earlier in the year. Remember, Arkansas beat them uh, 69-59. They're going to be looking for some payback. After that, they went on a on a little two-game win streak. They beat Mississippi State. Or, excuse me, they beat Ole Miss. I told you I'm going to keep doing this. Ole Miss at home and then on the road against Vanderbilt. Uh, they lost a couple. They beat Mizzou on, on the road. They beat Tennessee on the road, 63-58. Uh you know, again, kind of glancing over their impressive wins. The at Alabama win is impressive, but uh, at Auburn is definitely the season high for them, seventy-eight to seventy-five. Wow, um, I I I don't know if there's if there's going to be a hangover. You don't really hear about that much in basketball. If there's going to be a hangover, but A and M in that game, nobody really blew the doors off the hinges from a scoring aspect, but. There's nothing that really stands out other than, you know, I mean, look, they they rebounded well against Auburn. Uh, they shot just, you know, just under 48% from the floor, 38% from three-point range, 8 of 21. They're 14 of 22 at the free throw line at 63%. They got a little bit of bench production. I really just wonder if this was just a bad game, even though uh, Dowdy had 25 points for, for Auburn. Um it might just be a matchup nightmare. Sometimes that happens in basketball. It's all about that matchup, and maybe that had something to do with it. But you know, I didn't watch that game, and I, I'm going to be honest. I really have no idea how the hell A and M pulled that off. But that's a good win for them. They're 15 and 14 overall in the year, nine and eight in conference play. If Arkansas wins this, 
That'll put them at 8 and 10. If we're going to get into the conversation of making the NCAA tournament, we have to be honest with ourselves. There are some, I believe Porter said he felt like Arkansas would have to win the entire SEC tournament. I think that's what he said. Or maybe make the SEC tournament or the uh, championship game. Um, I think Joe Lenardi said something similar. But I don't I don't know. I mean, there is something to be said about Isaiah Joe. This team with Isaiah Joe and this team without Isaiah Joe. And Lenardi said it himself. Selection committee is going to consider that. The selection committee is absolutely going to this is going to be something they look at. Look at the record with Joe, especially these last, you know, several games. Arkansas is a different team. Now, that that Georgia loss um I I don't even know. I, I Arkansas is a better team. They still dropped that thing by 10 points, 99 to 89, with a healthy Isaiah Joe, with a healthy Mason Jones and 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 Witt, and you still drop that thing on the road. But still, Missouri's a win, 78 to 68. Tennessee's a win, 86 69. You whoop that Tennessee rear end at home. That was a good one. Uh, I mean, just for me, I love payback. They did they did us dirty on the road, eighty two to sixty one. We got some payback there, but then on the road, you lose you lose by double digits, and you turn around and you play a decent, I, I guess, a quad two LSU team. Someone asked that in our Discord. What LSU? I think they're more or less a quad two, so a decent quad two win. But now you've got to go on the road. You got to beat A and M. You can't lose. That's one thing I do know. I'll say that right here. You can't lose this game. You lose this. Yeah, I don't know how you get in. I just don't. I know people want to bring up what I think who was it Florida last year that got in with like an 18 win record with a 8 and 10 conference record. Uh I I just I don't know, different year, different circumstances. I I just don't know. I can't I'm not in their minds. I don't like I said I'm going to have a hard time like if Joe Lenardi were here right now, I wouldn't really have a good case other than, hey, what about Isaiah Joe? You said it yourself. Selection committee is going to consider, consider Isaiah Joe, right, with with how good Arkansas. With Isaiah Joe, they're a tournament team. We know that. They are a tournament team. Why do we have to, why do we have to keep reminding people of that? So if you win this one on the road, my take is you win this one, I feel like if so that puts you at twenty and eleven on the year. I feel like if you get two in the NCC tournament, I don't know how you you leave Arkansas completely out of this thing. I just don't. And then if you do win twenty two, fans are going to be you know if you win twenty two and you don't get into the NCAA tournament and you do get into the NIT, I mean you will with that record. Fans are just going to be really pissed and that much more upset that they're having to settle for the NITs. If you find a way to get to twenty-two with this with this record, now I know their quad one wins don't exactly you know, and and you do have a you do like I said you still have regular season a losing record in conference play. That's the other thing. So I guess you really can't blame the selection committee if if uh, if you miss. So I don't know. I know it's I know it's tough to swallow when you play this well. And here's the thing too: Mason Jones, Isaiah Joe, and, and Jimmy Witt. You hate to feel this way, or at least I do, but it feels like to me this could be the last that we see of all three of them. I don't know. And so with that thought in the back of your head, you'd hate to see this all go to waste. If they do leave, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, obviously, Witt's gone, but but Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, the big two there. 
the good news there is that you definitely have room for everybody in in this upcoming class. So you don't have to worry about that. But um, or am I wrong? Am I missing somebody? I feel like I might be missing somebody. Do they have room for all these kids, all these transfers, and and uh, this incoming freshman class? I uh, you, you're gonna hate you're gonna hate to see them go and feel like this year, like oh my gosh, Mason Jones, what a year! Isaiah Joe, I mean, where would this team be if if he hadn't got it, gotten injured? If he hadn't been banged up, where would this team be if they were? And I know this is hard to say because nobody's 100 percent healthy throughout the year. But where would this team be if Isaiah Joe didn't miss those games? And you're just we're gonna think, what if? Oh man, what a waste! Not for them. It's good for them. You can't blame these kids for looking at the opportunity, especially if you're if you're if you're given a grade mid mid second round. You gotta you gotta put yourself in these in their shoes. You gotta put yourself in their shoes. It's hard to blame kids, even though sometimes, and I can think back to football when guys left early, and you thought, "What are you doing? You really need to come back." I don't I don't know that I blame anybody though for for jumping a little bit early to go to the pros to get that money to get the cheddar, okay? We're in a market economy. That's what we do here. We make money in the US. That's what's great about this country and these guys want that opportunity and you can't blame them. Wouldn't you if you were 19, 20, 21? Hell yeah, you would. Even if it was a the second round money. It's hard to it's hard to overlook that. And what happens if you come back and you get banged up and you lose more time, or God forbid, something worse? You lose out on the whole year. So okay, we'll we'll transition really quick to football. I want to talk about Caden Salter. I had a, a screenshot sent to me the other night, just a couple of nights ago. Trey Biddy and Danny West have crystal balled the four star prospect, the four star dual threat quarterback, six one hundred eighty five pound. Uh, quarterback out of uh, Cedar Hill, Texas, for this 2021 class. They have both crystal balled him to Arkansas. That was just uh, a couple days ago, I believe. Uh, he is a unanimous four-star, at least according to the 24-7 Sports Composite score, a .91 four-star. They have him ranked, again, this is the composite score. There's two different scores here. Nationally ranked at 244th in the country, the top 10 dual-threat quarterback, and the 39th overall player in the country. Now, to according to the just the 24-7 Sports, they have him ranked quite a bit higher on the national level there. They've got him in the top 90 as opposed to top 244. They have him at 89th overall in the country the number four overall dual threat in the top 12 player in the state of texas not quarterback player in the state of texas he has heavy offers from auburn baylor ole miss south carolina among some more ole miss fans really thought they had a shot here maybe they still do i don't know we know who auburn we know we know what auburn's up to with chad morris um that's those are heavy hitters with chad morris as as the lead recruiter on that uh, it's it's going to be a toughie, but I think Kendall Bryles, I think the odds are pretty good right now that Caden Salter, again, 6'1", 185-pounder. Uh, I think there's right now, I feel pretty good if you ask me tomorrow if he were to sign or, or commit, if he were to go uh, and, and, and uh, announce tomorrow, where would you lean him towards? I would definitely say right now Arkansas, but we know how this works. Uh, anything could change. Also, according to the screenshot I was sent, his official forty is a four eight five, but he's got a four three four shuttle with about a thirty three inch vertical at thirty two point seven. Uh, he is uh, he's he's 
pretty athletic. Um, he does have an official visit. He just got an offer, as a matter of fact, from Indiana. Uh, he had an official visit to Ole Miss back on March 1st. He had an official visit on, on March 2nd at Arkansas, and he's got an unofficial coming up uh, at uh, UCLA on March 10th. So that's your recruiting update. I'm not putting anybody on commit watch just yet, but I, I do like right now. Again, we got a long ways to go, but right now I like Arkansas's positioning with Caden Salter. I think it's a good one. Okay, next up, our very own Kyle Sutherland will be interviewing Curtis Wilkerson. Stick around for that. Woo pig suey. Welcome back to the Hog Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Sutherland, for this second segment, and we're happy to have on Curtis Wilkerson. He is a writer for Busting Bracket, a scout for Prep Hoops Missouri. He, like myself, is a lifelong Razorback fan who has moved to a different state and is in St. Louis. And, Curtis, it's great to have you on again, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, it's March. It's March Madness season. Can't complain. Happy to be on talking with you today. So we'll start off with the A&M game, final regular season game of the season. The Hogs travel to College Station. Of course, we all remember them opening on January 4th and getting the victory. But A&M has been, if not, I'd say maybe outside of Kentucky, one of the more impressive teams in SEC play. Certainly did not have a very good non-con schedule and didn't do well there. But Buzz Williams is one of the guys that people are talking about for the SEC Coach of the Year. How do you feel about that coming off a really dominant LSU game that the Hogs had? Yeah, I've got to tell you that I, I am a little bit worried about that game. I, I hope that we're not seeing a pattern here. I mean, if you think about last week, Arkansas has the big-time victory over Tennessee, maybe the most complete performance of the year up until up until last night, I guess. And then they followed that up by going on the road, and it was a little bit of a clunker against a Georgia team that we all feel like we should have beaten. Uh, so then you turn back around, and, and you head home. You have the big win over LSU, and now here we go on the road again. And, you know, A&M is a completely different team than when we saw them in early January. I mean, when we caught them, uh, like you said, they had had a rough non-conference season. They were having a really hard time scoring the ball. Uh, and, and while they're not necessarily burning up the nets now, Buzz Williams has those guys rolling. I mean, they're really tough defensively. They've had some guys who have started to grow into their role and figure some things out. It's never easy on the road in the SEC, but... I do think Arkansas is going to pull this one out. I mean, they're a team with their backs against the wall. If we talk about, you know, the possibilities of getting on the right side of that bubble and getting back into the conversation in terms of making the NCAA tournament, this is obviously a must win. I just think there's more to play for. uh, And you got the Mason Jones factor. So I, I, I hope that Arkansas can pull it out. I think they will, but it's not going to be a cakewalk and it's not going to be easy. Of course, with the Isaiah Joe injury, there's been a lot of different shakeups in, in the starting lineups. But it seems right now, so they've got two guaranteed games remaining, of course, going to College Station and with at least one SEC tournament game. And I guess you could also throw in an NIT game if they are to lose in the first round of the SEC tournament. But was the lineup that they have right now, of course, with Adrio, Henderson, Mason Jones, Joe, and Jimmy Witt, and then Desi Sills being the sixth man, that has to be the best option for them right now at this point, especially with just two games remaining. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you nailed it on the head there. What really might make this the best lineup combination possible 
is the fact that that Desi Sills is coming off of the bench now. Uh, we've had such a hard time getting consistent production off of the bench in terms of scoring the basketball. And really, since we've made that move and, and brought Desi in as the sixth man, I mean, he's been lighting it up. He's been shooting over 40 percent from the three point line, which we knew was something that he's capable of. He comes in and provides that spark. He brings energy on both ends of the floor. And having that coming in uh, off of the bench, I think, has really worked wonders for the team offensively. And then Ethan Henderson, man, I, you know, we've we've talked over the over the course of the season a few times about how important it was for somebody, anybody, to be able to give Adriel Bailey a little bit of a spell in terms of just minutes and and maybe not crazy scoring, but coming in. Uh, and providing some rim protection, snagging some rebounds and things like that. And not only has Ethan done that over the course of the last several games, but he's worked his way into that starting lineup. Uh, and it just changed the dynamic of the team when you have that kind of length and athleticism. And we have the scorers. We've got Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe and Jimmy Witt and all those guys who are capable of filling it up. You don't need that from a guy like Ethan. But what you do need is the rebounding and the shot blocking and the interior defense. And he's been able to provide that. I think it's really been a huge boost for the team. And so when you think about how great of a start that they've gotten in the last two home games with Tennessee and last night against LSU, last night at least when we're recording against LSU, is is that going to have to happen in order for them to continue to be on a roll? I mean, it goes without saying. Anybody can tell you that, yes, getting off to a fast start is certainly a key to success. But you think about Georgia, you think about the games that they have, even Florida at a point, there's a few games that you can think of where they did come back from big leads. I think Mississippi State in the second second game with them was another one of those that comes to mind. Is it crucial that they must start off hard, that they must start off very fast and shooting the ball well in order to win games? Or do you feel fairly confident that even they could maybe come back from some of those games if they have to? Well, I definitely feel like there's a little bit of middle ground there. I mean, we've we've definitely seen the extremes. Like you said, they, they came out red hot last night and were able to build up a big lead and, and hold that through uh, until the end of the game. And then on the opposite end, we, we see those games like Georgia where they get down 14 to nothing and, and have to climb out of that hole. Uh, that might be asking a little bit much from this team who still we are healthy. A guy like Ethan Henderson has has been able to provide some minutes and a little bit of depth. Uh, but we still, uh, to a degree, are, are maybe a little bit fatigued at the end of those games. It, and it, it wears on you over the course of the season. So when you're having to expend so much energy to dig yourselves out of a big hole like we have in some of those games, what winds up happening is exactly what we've seen. It's just a, you just come up a little bit too short uh, and you expel all your energy getting back into it and you can't quite get over that hump and finish. So uh, I do think, especially on the road, it's important to get off to a hot start and, and see the ball go through the hoop just for confidence sake. Uh, so maybe they don't have to be red hot and, and come out of the gates and build up a double digit lead right away. But I think the key is to avoid those ridiculously slow starts. Uh, the, the 14 to nothings and things like that, where Muss has to burn a timeout or two in the first couple of minutes. That's what we have to avoid. So I think keeping pace or having an early lead is a key uh, got to avoid getting down big early on for sure. 
So there's obviously a heated argument right now, with our, especially with Arkansas fans and Kentucky fans, over who is going to be the SEC Player of the Year. Now, I definitely think that Mason Jones at this point – I had Reggie Perry for a while up until a couple of weeks ago. But right now, I would definitely put Mason Jones at the top of that list with Emmanuel quickly right behind him. And Skylar Mays as well uh, definitely made a, a pretty good case for himself this season. He had a really good game against Arkansas last night. Is Mason Jones your player of the year? You look at what he's been able to do. We'll just point out a couple of things. Two 40-point games, eight 30-point games, SEC leading score, number one in free throws made in the entire country, and he also had 15 20-point games to go along with that as well, or I guess 16 as of, as of the LSU game. Would he be your player of the year in the SEC as it stands right now coming into the end of the season? There's, there is no doubt in my mind that Mason Jones should be the player of the year in the SEC. At, at the end of the day, you know, if you think about this Arkansas team uh, and, and how close some of these games have been that, that we've lost, you know, two points here, four points there, uh, a few overtime games that we've dropped late. And, you know, this award, in my opinion, shouldn't have anything to do, for the most part, uh, with the team. It, it is an individual award, but uh, let's be honest here. If, if a couple balls bounce the right way, if, if the tip end doesn't fall at the horn against Mississippi State and Arkansas has picked up a couple more wins and all of a sudden they're sitting at 21 or 22 and they're solidly in as an NCAA tournament team, I'm not sure this is even a conversation. I, I think Mason Jones would be in a position where he's running away with it. I mean, you mentioned all of those statistics. Uh, that's incredible to, to be able to lead the conference in scoring. I mean, he's the team's top scorer, rebounder, assist man, uh, leads in steals. And that's that's insanity. I mean, those those numbers are ridiculous. He has been a takeover player uh, that has carried the team. And whether that means carrying them to victories or keeping them in games that they otherwise wouldn't be in, uh, he's done all of those things. So, uh, you know, not to take anything away from any of those other guys. I mean, like we saw Skylar Mays last night. Uh, incredible player Reggie Perry especially against us we we know what that guy is capable of uh, but I just don't think they've done it on a consistent level the way that Mason has and then you look at the two guys from Kentucky and it, it's hard for me to consider personally uh, quickly or Nick Richards to to really qualify as that player of the year uh, you're on the same team it's almost as if those guys in in conjunction with each other might cancel each other out in my opinion so uh, I know it'll be tough, and, and I understand the voters have a lot of things to look at in terms of making this decision, but uh, to me personally, and, and all bias aside, obviously, uh, Mason Jones has got to be the guy. I, I just I think it's robbery any other way. We're talking with Curtis Wilkerson from Busting Brackets in Prep Hoops, Missouri. And Curtis, you look at a guy like Jimmy Witt. Now, I know you've been in Missouri for, for a while. I'm not sure if you were. I, I know that you have been a scout and, and also a coach uh, throughout your career there. And Jimmy Witt coming out of Hickman High in Columbia, Missouri, which, side note, uh, is also where Bud and Sam Walton went to high school. He comes back for his final college season after being at U of A for his freshman year and then spending uh, in between that time at, at SMU. That's just one of the most unique things that you have ever seen, really. In, I don't know if I'd go – I'd say I mean, maybe even college sports, but definitely college basketball – so he's averaged 14 points per game this season, which is third on the team, and his final regular season home game at Bud Walton scores 26, gets 15 boards, five assists, and two steals. What can you say about just the importance that he's been this year and just what a guy he, that he just is overall? Yeah, you know, when when Muss was able to lure him back to Arkansas, I, I, was, I was excited right away uh, just in terms of, 
depth, I thought. You know, this would be a guy who would come in and play defense and give us some athleticism. And, and you knew that he was kind of a, a stat sheet stuffer in terms of he could score it, rebound it. He's a good assist man. Uh, so you thought that you would get some valuable contributions from him. I never thought that he would see the success on the court that he has. And and that's a testament to his work ethic and his personality and, and just his leadership abilities and being understanding of his role. Uh, he's really an extension of the coaching staff on the floor. Uh, and then what, what Coach Musselman's been able to extract from him, I think, has been incredible. Uh, I can't say enough about the job that he's done. You know, at, at different times this year, uh, he's played all five positions on the floor and defended all five positions on the floor. Maybe that's, you know, lining up against a, an all-league big man or uh, trying to, to lock down and defend a potential number one overall pick in Anthony Edwards. Anything that's been asked of him, he's done it. And he's a guy who's playing you essentially 40 minutes a game which is insane. And then, you know, you, you listen to him talk and he's a, he's a smart young man. He's got a bright future ahead of him. Great attitude, very personable. Uh, I really can't say enough about him. He's going to be missed. I I think to be able to see, you know, him being at Arkansas as a freshman and then making the move, a, a decision that was probably best for himself at the time, but then being able to come back and have the success that he's had and to see that come full circle uh, like you said, is is really one of the most unique stories I can think of and, and certainly something that's got to be very special for him. You mentioned that you have the Hogs going to to College Station and winning that game, but what is your overall prediction for the rest of the season? Now, Joe Lenardi, I know, has said that he believes that the Razorbacks have to win the SEC tournament. I've gone on record on this very podcast saying in the last couple of weeks that I'm not going to press the panic button on any team that is mathematically still eligible for the NCAA tournament that Eric Musselman is coaching. But in my mind, I I just don't really see them making the tournament unless they win the SEC. What do you think that, that what will happen for the remainder of this year for the Razorbacks? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously you would love to to go ahead and win the SEC tournament and get the automatic bid. Uh, and maybe that's not likely, you know, with a, with a team that's a little bit short on depth at times to ask them to, to play that many days in a row uh, and be successful is, is probably a, a tall task for them. But um, I, I'm not sold that that's exactly the only path for Arkansas to make it into the NCAA tournament. At, at the end of the day, uh, this, this is a bit of a soft bubble. I mean, you're still seeing teams that are you know, slightly over over 500 in, in Power 5 leagues, and, and you're seeing other mid-majors and things like that that are being considered. The NCAA selection committee is probably searching for teams to put in at this point. So you look at an Arkansas team that's closing in on 20 victories, you can you can get to that mark if you knock off A&M. And then a lot of it's going to be dependent on how far of a run they can make it, who they play against, and then what the other teams around them are doing. You know, so for example... Uh, if Arkansas does go into the SEC tournament, and let's say, I think probably the most favorable pairings right now would be either Tennessee, uh, maybe A&M again, or, or Alabama, I think was the the three possibilities there. But you knock off one of those teams, uh, and then what happens? So you, you're going to be faced off against probably uh, one of the top two seeds. So you, you might see a Kentucky or an Auburn. Well, uh, if, if you're able to secure a victory in one of those games, uh, prior to moving on, you know, that, that adds another signature win onto the resume. Then all of a sudden we're talking about a 22 win team, uh, that has a, a decent resume that's boosted by a win over what would be a, a top 25 team in a Kentucky or an Auburn. 
Uh, and then maybe you, you get back into that bubble conversation and you never know what's going to happen. But you don't want to be in that situation. You, you never know how the other leagues are going to pan out. There's always a number of bid stealers uh, from the other conferences that'll, that'll sneak in and steal a bid when in their conference tournament. So, uh, you know, obviously to, to make it a sure thing, go ahead and, and win that SEC tournament. But I could see a scenario where they could sneak into the back door by maybe making it to the championship game. Uh, depending on who it is that they're matched up with heading into the tournament. All right. Well, Curtis, before we get out of here, man, as I mentioned, I told it at the beginning and in the middle of the pod what you do, but I want you to take just a second here. I know that on my previous podcast that I had had you on a couple of times um, that you had talked about what you do for prep hoops and and for busting brackets, but go ahead and uh, give us just a little breakdown of, of exactly what it is you do and then also plug your socials as well so everyone can give you a follow. Yeah, for sure. So uh, with Busting Brackets, just a contributing writer for them. So I uh, spend the majority of my time, you know, covering Arkansas Razorbacks basketball and uh, the SEC in general and, and also a lot of recruiting topics and things of that nature. And then uh, for Prep Hoops, I, I do serve as uh, a contributor with them, working with uh, kind of some national player evaluations and rankings and scouting reports and things of that nature. Uh, I am stationed in Missouri, but we do kind of cover nationally so I'm able to get down into Arkansas and things like that quite frequently and and stay on top of what's going on down there in the natural states so uh, that's a little bit of, of what I do if, you, if you'd like to give me a follow I'm, I'm very active on Twitter the the handle is at c wilk underscore hoops and I uh, would love to have a follow from anybody all right great stuff as always man we'll always enjoy talking to you and thank you all as always for listening for another episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Sutherland from all of us here. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.